I appreciate uh, the opportunity to come and speak with you this morning, and uh, especially to speak about the person that I love to speak about, the Lord Jesus. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I have a great advantage on you. Um, now, for those of you who don't know me and uh, how, how, my, how I'm connected to all of this, um, I guess I've known Joel Shirk for 20-some-odd years. Um, we are, well, he's a very close and dear friend of mine. We meet for coffee literally once a week for the last 12 years. So um, I had met Dennis a few times at Christ Community, but, you know, sort of just in passing. I think I ran into him at Manadnock years ago, and he probably doesn't remember that. Um, but uh, he had inquired from Joel, you know, if there was a pastor's group in the area to get together with, because he, he recognized the need just to get together with other pastors. And Joel, having known me, uh, knew about a pastor's group that I've been leading in Waterbury for the last several years. Actually, there's a couple of groups I've been part of, one in New Britain, one in Bristol, and also one in Waterbury. And um, he couldn't be dissuaded. He, had, he wanted to come, so we told him as long as he brought the brandy and the cigars that that was fine. So he brought them, and there we are. So um, he's been part of a, what we call gatekeepers in Waterbury for the last several years and really plays a tremendous role there. Uh, he's been, become a really dear friend. Um, I want to just encourage you as congregation that you really are blessed to have someone like Dennis. Um, I've been in this business for more than 40 years, if you want to call it a business. Um, I've seen, seen it all. And it's rare to find pastors that really are you know, still see ministry as ministry instead of a job. Uh, that's your pastor. Some also, it's very rare to find pastors who are the same in the pulpit and out of the pulpit. I don't know what it is about us, but we get in the pulpit and we get a new voice. So I just can't remember. Figure that, figure that out, praise God. But um, Dennis is a very real guy and, uh, again, has become a really good friend not only to me but also to, to my family. You had, some of you had the opportunity to hear my son speak last week. And I was listening to him uh, on that newsletter that you mentioned, and he had mentioned that uh, Dennis had paid him $10 for his endorsement, which concerns me because he only paid me like five, and I feel like, <laughs> I feel like I should ask for more. But maybe he feels like, you know, my son is the newer model and deserved more. I'm not sure how <laughs> that worked. But uh, it, is, it is honestly a pleasure and, and an honor to be with you this morning. Uh, my son also mentioned that uh, both he and my other son and myself have recently returned from South Africa. We were there for about a week on, a, on I don't know how to describe it, it's sort of a missions trip, ministry trip, but it really an impactful trip for all of us. It's not simply going to Africa and seeing the sites, which we did in abundance, but also uh, a spiritual journey that really has, has had a huge impact on all of us. And uh, for those of you who are interested in seeing pictures of that, um, I put some up on my website, which is freshteaching.org, that you can see at any time you like under the uh, tab Africa. So if you want to take a look at some of, the, some of the part of what that adventure was all about. But it was really impactful to me. And one of the things that happened there that was quite unexpected is about a day after we arrived in South Africa, we were right on the edge of Kruger National Park, which is about a 220-mile by 40-mile park filled with animals. And um, we were right literally on the edge of that. And uh, 
when I was there, um, the host was sharing with us about script, some scripture, and as he shared the scripture with us, it just hit me in a different way. Has that ever happened to you? Where you've read something before, and then it just grabs you in such a way that you're saying, wow, I've never seen that before. And in this case, it was so simple that it really impacted me because it, was like, it wasn't really complicated or deep, but yet it was. And um, that particular, I'll call it revelation, has had an impact on me from that day till now. And I'd like to attempt to share some of what I feel like God has been putting into my heart and still putting into my heart. I'm in a kind of an extended period of study on this topic, but I want to share with you just a little bit this morning about the kingdom of God. Wow, that's heavy. Um, how many of you are familiar with John's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 3 through 5? You know what that is all about? Um, in John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, it says, Jesus replied, I tell you for certain that you must be born from above before you can see God's kingdom. Nicodemus asked, how can a grown man ever be born a second time? Jesus answered, I tell you for certain that before you can get into God's kingdom, you must be born not only of water, but by the Spirit. I think this is probably the most familiar scripture to most believers. I mean, we talk about it, or we've perhaps found our way into the kingdom of God through this scripture, that whole dynamic of being born again. I like this interpretation. I think it's a better one, born from above. I think born again has lost its, lost its significance to us as a culture. Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born from above to see the kingdom of God. Now, who was Jesus speaking with? Um, Nicodemus was not a lightweight. Uh, Nicodemus was somebody who knew Scripture very well. He was studied in Scripture. He essentially, if you want to use, you know, just to kind of apply it to today, he, he went to Bible school and graduated with honors. He knew his Bible. Uh, he was a church guy. Uh, he knew all of the rituals, he knew all the songs, he knew everything there was to know about God. And still he shows up at Jesus' place at night. He's the original Nick at night, and yes, I realize that's a bad <laughs> reference. Um, he shows up at night because he doesn't want anybody to see him. Why doesn't he want anybody to see him? Well, because Jesus is not exactly welcome in the religious circles. He's not welcome at clergy meetings. He's not welcome in church meetings. He's not pretty much welcome inside the then-known church. And Nicodemus is curious about Jesus because Jesus has something going on that's so different than his experience. Like people are getting healed. Like every time he speaks, lives are changed. And see, he's referencing his experience growing up in synagogue, going to Bible school, learning everything, and now he's a member of the Sanhedrin. He is a respected member of the community. He's like the top clergy guy in town. People love him. You can't even get into the Sanhedrin unless people like you. And I mean, he knows all of this, and yet he's contrasting that with Jesus and saying, well, Jesus didn't go to Bible school. He doesn't go to synagogue very much, it seems. He's always working on tables and chairs. And 
But what he's doing is God. And what we're doing is dead. We're doing everything right with no results. And so he comes to Jesus in these verses. And we're told he comes to Jesus. He says, basically, what he's trying to say is, how come it's working for you but doesn't work for us? That's my interpretation. How come God seems to be present in what you're doing? And even though we have much better services than you, our music is better, our stuff is better, how come you've got power and we don't? Jesus answers this question. He's not even really even asking a question. But Jesus answers the question and says, well, here's the deal. Unless you're born from above, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. Now, most people, when they see kingdom of heaven, and it's probably just a matter of habit, is we reference actual heaven. Like, when we die, heaven. But as you read through the scriptures, you're going to note that it probably 90% of the cases, whenever God, the kingdom of God is mentioned by Jesus or John the Baptist or the disciples, whenever they're speaking about the kingdom of God, it is not heaven. It is not the future. It is now. And so Nicodemus isn't interested. He's not asking questions about heaven. He wants to know how come you've got something going on right now and we've got nothing. What's the difference between you and us? And Jesus is answering his question, even though he's not asking it very well, and saying you must be born from above. Something needs to happen between you and God before you can see the kingdom of heaven. Now, how do you see it? I know if you've been born again or born from above, as Scripture says, did you see the kingdom of heaven? I mean, Jesus said that's exactly what will happen. If you're born from above, you'll see God's kingdom. What does that look like, pun intended? I'm not entirely sure, but I would conjecture, I guess, and perhaps this has happened to you, where you start to see God where no one else does. Coincidences happen. And everyone says, wow, that's amazing coincidence. And yet you know that God did something. And you won't be even able to convince them. But you know, because you see the kingdom of God in operation. Other people see one thing and you see another. Seeing the kingdom of God as you begin to recognize God at work around you, God at work in your home, God at work in your workplace, God at work in your neighborhood, God at work in answers to prayer, you begin to see a direct correlation between you asking for something from God and it taking place. And everyone else says, wow, that's a great thing. You know God did it. 
But Jesus goes further than that. He doesn't just simply say, you must be born from above to see the kingdom of God. He's speaking to Nicodemus again. He says, you must be born of water or essentially natural birth. You need to be born of the spirit to enter the kingdom of God. And while I was in Africa, it really just occurred to me, and it should, should have occurred to me when I was very much younger, that there are many Christians who see the kingdom of God, but rarely, if ever, enter it. Because Jesus doesn't want us simply to see the kingdom. He wants his people to enter the kingdom, and not simply on Sundays and not simply when Melody is singing. You may lift your hands and you have a sense of God's presence. That's good. You might touch the kingdom. But Jesus is talking about a walk in the kingdom, a life in the kingdom that is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. He's talking about an entirely different experience that is taking place all of the time. And as you read through the parables, I want you to notice going forward that in almost every case, Jesus starts the parable by saying, the kingdom of God is like, and then he explains something. That's the parable. He wants to, know how for, he wants to let people know, this is how forgiveness works in the kingdom of God. This is how grace works in the kingdom of God. This is how money works. This is how family works. He goes through just about every, he goes through every aspect of life. This is how the kingdom of God operates. Now, why is he doing that? He wants to contrast for us how our kingdoms work versus his kingdom. Now, why would most Christians not enter the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven? I don't think it's a conscious decision so much as either we are not aware that we can, are not aware how to get there, are not aware how to stay there, or we're stuck in another kingdom. While I was in Africa, and this is how the revelation came to me, I was thinking about some of the challenges that I've been facing lately. Has anybody faced any challenges lately? I just need to know. I want to just check and see if I was among humans. But I was thinking about <clears throat> some of the challenges I've been facing and some of the things that have been, some things that have been long-time challenges that have just been frustrating. Has anybody ever had that happen? Now, thankfully, when you become a pastor, those all go away, but um, <laughs> I was thinking about those challenges, and as I was thinking about it, in, at the same time thinking about the kingdom of God, I don't want to say God said to me, but it's like the Holy Spirit inside of me said, well, the reason you've got those challenges is you're drawing from the wrong kingdom. Yeah. Or in my case, he was a little more blunt. He said, you're in the wrong kingdom. And when that revelation hit me, I began to realize I really am in the wrong kingdom on this issue. I'm trying to figure this thing out, human, humanly speaking. I'm trying to draw from other kingdoms to figure out what you intend to solve in your kingdom. Now, I'm not suspecting that anybody here probably plans to move to China. 
But if you decided to move to China or another country that was completely foreign to you, there's a number of things you would need to do. What would you need to do to move to China? If you were going to move to China permanently, what would you need to do? You'd need to get the right paperwork. In this case, you'd need to get the right to go to China, a passport. Anything else? You'd need to learn how to communicate. You'd need to learn how to speak Chinese, right? I mean, if you don't know how to speak when you get there, then it's going to be odd for you to live there. Someone said that you need to learn the culture because they don't do things the same as us. You can say something and think you're saying the right thing and be saying the opposite if you don't know what you're doing. You can do things that are opposite. <clears throat> I have a friend of mine, some of you know him, but I have a friend of mine who uh, was in Thailand and uh, he saw someone that he wanted to uh, say hello to. He'd never met this woman before. And so he called her over and so he lifted his hand. He called her over. She came over and uh, screamed at him in Thai. Of course, he didn't know Thai. But what he came to find out later is that in Thailand, if you could do this, it means I'd like a prostitute now. <laughs> Needless to say, she wanted to express that she would, did not appreciate his gesture. And the reason that happened is he didn't know the culture. Anything else that you might need to do if you were going to prepare to move to China? You need to know what to do in commerce. You need to know how to do business in China. Very good. Anybody else? She's not supposed to get all the answers, by the way. What else would you need to do if you're going to move to China? Next week, you're moving to China. You're never coming back to America. What are you going to need to do? What's that? You're going to need to learn. You're going to need money to get there. You're going to need money while you're there. You need a place to live. Or try to take it with you, which probably wouldn't work. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Uh, if you were going to be permanent, you might have to do that, or you could probably go dual citizenship. I don't know how that all works. Great answers. In other words, for you to move from this kingdom, the United States, to another kingdom, China, you're going to need to go through some serious changes. You're going to need to learn how they talk over there. You're going to need to learn how they do business over there. You're going to need to learn uh, how to get in there. You need the passport to get in, so you need to know how to get a legitimate entrance into that kingdom. You're going to need to learn um, how the culture works over there, because it doesn't work the same as in this kingdom. You're following me, right? When God invites us into his kingdom, we're going to go th have to go through transitions in every area of our life. We cannot, if we want to enter the kingdom, we cannot stay in the kingdoms we're accustomed to. Well, you know what? <clears throat> I'm Italian, and I just, I, we just get mad all the time. We have tempers. Yeah, that kingdom does. But not the kingdom of God. Are you following me? You see, we don't have, if we're going to really follow Jesus, if we want to enter the kingdom of God, we can't stay in the kingdom of self and get into the kingdom of God and function in the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of self keeps us out. It's not that the invitation isn't there. Jesus said, here, you can see it and you can enter it. <laughs> I'm inviting you. However, to get in, you've got to, leave, you've got to leave the kingdom you're in. Does that seem clear to you? 
I mean, the kingdom of self says, I'm going to do what I feel like doing whenever I feel like doing it. The kingdom of self says, I don't feel like doing that, so I'm not going to do it. In other words, everything is based on how I feel or what's convenient to me or how it fits into my schedule. That's the kingdom of self. Everything's centered around me. The kingdom of God, on the other hand, has nothing to do with the kingdom of self, does it? The kingdom of God is what? What does God want? When does he want it? How does he want it done? It's a kingdom. A kingdom is a territory over which a king rules. Now, unfortunately for us as Americans, we don't really have a concept of kingdoms because we don't have one in the United States, or we, I hope we don't. Um, and, you know, the, our reference point is England, where they have a queen but who has no power. But if you would go to Africa, some of the countries in Africa or in, or in Malaysia, there are legitimate kings there. And if you enter the throne room and your head is above theirs, it won't be for long, if you get my drift. I mean, their rule is absolute. And you adjust your life according to what the king wants in his kingdom. It's really very straight. We don't really have a conception of that in the United States because of democracy. I'm not putting down democracy. I'm just saying we, we don't have that, that concept. But the kingdom of God is one where Christ rules where his business gets done. And isn't it interesting? He invites us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done in heaven. On earth. If you want to see how that scripture, that, 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 that prayer really is actioned out, what you're really saying, if you're praying it, using all of the Greek and all of that good stuff behind it, what you're really saying is, God, I demand your kingdom be done now. That's what you're really praying, if you want to look at the original language. You're not saying, come your kingdom, let it be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's not the way, this, that's not the way Jesus taught it. If you look at its originals, what you're doing is demanding the kingdom of God be manifest now in your life. And he's giving you the right to demand that. However, to demand it, you need to comply. You can't say, God, I want your kingdom, but I'm not going to stop living the way I'm living. You can't say, God, I want your kingdom, but I'm not giving that up and I'm not changing that. And don't tell me what to do in the kingdom of self. The kingdoms don't work that way. If you want the benefits, the blessings, the joy, quite frankly, the power of the kingdom of God, you'll need to make a conscious decision to leave the kingdoms that you've been staying in. Some of them are not bad kingdoms, but they just don't operate under the same king. You might be in the kingdom of business. You might be making money hand over fist and you're happy to have a nice new BMW and God bless you. Give me one. But you may need to leave that in the sense of your allegiance because the king is not over the kingdom of business unless it's under his control. Now, there are businessmen, and frankly, I know some, I know millionaires who are in the kingdom of God and they're their business acumen and their, 
their wealth and their resources are clearly under the kingdom of God. So God says, I want you to do this, and they do it. It's not that you need to leave it in the sense of just dispose of all your income, although he may ask you to do that. I'm not saying he won't. But it's something where you've changed allegiances and said, no matter what Wall Street says, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. No matter what self says, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. No matter what culture says, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And that only happens when you've really genuinely fallen in love. The only reason you're going to leave one kingdom and join another is that you've just fallen in love with that new kingdom. Flat out. Jesus told some parables. The kingdom of God is like someone who's found a treasure in an open field and he sells everything he's got. Someone who's found that pearl in the marketplace sells everything, gets rid of everything they've got because they want that pearl. The emphasis there is not on divesting yourself of wealth as much as choosing something that is so valuable to you that everything else pales in comparison. Is the kingdom of God so valuable to you that everything else pales in comparison? That is my challenge to you this morning. Do you really genuinely love Jesus? Do you want in this kingdom? Because humanly speaking, it's not hard to get in. He's already paid the price. You know that. As far as the sin issue, if you receive Jesus Christ into your life, he washes you from your sins, your past, your failures, all that stuff. That's wiped out in one shot. That's amazing. That's the God gospel. His calling to us is to repent. Repent means think differently. Steve Jobs called the world to repent. Not to Jesus, but what did he say? Think differently. Stop thinking the way you do about computers. Stop thinking the way you do about phones. Stop thinking the way you do about music. Think differently. He called the world to repent. It doesn't have an eternal value. But that is repentance in its essence. What does Jesus say when he says repent? Stop thinking the way you do. Stop putting your value systems together the same way. Think differently. Repent means think differently about who you are. Think differently about your, about your place in eternity. Think, think differently about your religion, because he was speaking to Jews. You think you're all set because you go to church. Forget about it. Nicodemus, you're not getting into the kingdom of God. All this stuff you've done, all that religious stuff, all the great stuff, what's well, all nice, but you're not getting into the kingdom of God unless you're born from above. And then that enables you to begin to see the kingdom, but more importantly, to enter if you want to. So I'd like to challenge you this morning. Which kingdom are you in? Not in a condemning way, but in a way of assessment. What kingdom are you serving? And again, you might have all the nice religious words. You may say, praise the Lord 50 times a day and all that stuff. That doesn't mean anything. That doesn't get you into the kingdom. It's not being religious. Jesus tells Nicodemus, the most religious guy in town, that's not going to work. You may know all the phrases. You may, may have everyone's respect. That's all nice. But that has nothing to do with my kingdom. Your pedigree doesn't get you in. Your education doesn't get you in. None of that stuff, none of that stuff matters in the kingdom of God. What matters is, do you want in? Are you willing to change your mind, repent? The message of John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. The message of Jesus, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. The message of the apostles, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. I mean, that's pretty much the, the, that's the message. 
But another little dynamic to that, and let me close with this, is something that Paul says in Romans chapter 10, and you also know this scripture, it's also very familiar. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. So there's two dynamics. You've got starting with repentance. Now you've got confessing with your mouth, believing in your heart. That word saved is, just as an aside, is a very interesting word because it means you were, you are, and you will be. All in one word. It's in the aorist tense. You were, you are, you will be. I can't explain that. It just is. But something happens in a transactional way when you think differently and then when you confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart. That Jesus Christ is God. That he was raised from the dead for you. And that he's called you to a, to a different kingdom. And I share these things with you this morning, understanding and realizing that perhaps the majority of you here have been Christians for many years. That, that uh, thought isn't lost on me. I'm not coming in here thinking that, you know, Billy Graham message, you know, the buses will wait or any of that stuff. I'm not an evangelist. But I do believe this is a message for the church because I believe that we have really gotten to a place where we don't either see the kingdom or, or even understand what it means to enter. You can enter the kingdom of God through your mouth right now. Not just the salvation experience, by the way. This isn't simply focused on getting saved. Anytime you want to access the kingdom, anytime you want to enter the kingdom, it starts with your mouth. I believe what Christ says is true. I'm facing insurmountable odds right now. However, Christ said this. I believe it. I declare it. It is so. That is a mechanical understanding of what it really means to enter the kingdom of God on a regular basis. I believe it is so. Because Christ says it. I understand that circumstances don't say that. But the word of God says it, and that's for me. I believe it in my heart. I confess it with my mouth. It is true. I don't have the time to open up and break open all that stuff or, or dispute it for that matter. It's just the simplicity of that. When I returned from Africa... Things began to happen in, in, crazy, in crazy ways. But what had changed? I'd seen some elephants and I'd seen some giraffes and all that kind of stuff. I mean, on a physical level, I'd seen some things. That is the only change I could see. I'd changed because I'd gained at least 10 pounds going to Africa. My goodness. I'm supposed to be coming back with less weight. I came back with more. What had changed is I grasped just a moment where I began to see that entering the kingdom of God is not because he's trying to restrain me, but because I keep choosing the wrong kingdoms to get the answers I'm looking for. 
What kingdoms are you depending on that have nothing to do with Jesus? And are you surprised that Jesus is not involved? Do you want Jesus to be involved? Let's all stand this morning. I'd like to ask you just for a moment to bow your heads because I want to take a time of reflection. Is there a kingdom, and this is for you to identify, and this is between you and your Lord, is there a kingdom right now that occupies the majority of your time that as I've been speaking this morning, perhaps the Holy Spirit has been kind of making you feel uncomfortable about that particular area of your life. He's not doing that, by the way, to make you feel uncomfortable. He's trying to show you that you've been putting your faith and your trust in a kingdom that cannot bring you into the destiny Christ has for you. Every person in this room is called to enter the kingdom of God, not once, not on Sunday, to enter the kingdom of God in your workplace, to enter the kingdom of God in your home life, to enter the kingdom of God, you fill in the blank, whatever area of your life, your thought life, your financial life, all these other areas, to enter the kingdom of God and to begin to do it on purpose and to begin to declare it with your mouth and believe it in your heart. And you may even have to speak out loud and say, in the name of Jesus, I declare my workplace is God's. If you believe in your heart, declare it with your mouth, you will be saved. You will enter the kingdom of God. He wants you to enter that kingdom. You know, it may be a relationship. Maybe in the relationship area, it's been something that's been a challenge for you, whether you are seeking one or whether you're in one. And you keep trying to figure out how to change that person or how to change circumstances or, or figure out what to do. You keep functioning in that kingdom and you don't seek the kingdom of God. Say, God, you've got good things for me. As was sung today, you're a good, good father. That's who you are. Do you believe he really is? Do you believe he's good? Do you believe he's got good things for his kids? Because he does. But unless you declare it, and unless you believe it in your heart, you may keep believing for disaster. Because you honestly believe that God is out to get you. <laughs> Which is a lie from the, from the, as the old Pentecostals say, from the pit of hell. And it is from the pit of hell. God has good things for his kids. He's got good destinies for his kids. That's the problem, though, with living in other kingdoms. You get the lies that go with them. And so I challenge you this morning, just before we pray, is there a kingdom, as I've been speaking this morning, is there a kingdom that the Holy Spirit is, is nudging you on? If he's not, don't worry about it. I'm not here to bring you under condemnation. But if there's a kingdom that's just got a hold on you and you can't let go of it, and you keep saying to God, and here's the, here's the, here's the, 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 the kicker, you keep saying to God, you know, God, I will do what you want me to do, but first I've got to do this. That tells you you've got the wrong kingdom going on. Let me say that again for emphasis. Whatever area of your life you're saying to God, God, I will do what you want me to do, except I've got to do this first. That's the kingdom that's got you stuck. And let me tell you something, it will never change. In fact, it'll get worse. Because Satan will see to it that you never get out of that kingdom. He'll keep you busy in it. 
He'll keep you busy in that excuse. And I can tell you something from more than 40 years of pastoral ministry. I cannot tell you the hundreds of people who've told me, I will do what God wants me to do when I do this first. They're still doing that or they're dead. Truth. Never found anybody who said, okay, I'm finally finished with that. Now I can serve God. Never happened. Ever. Satan keeps them running around in circles in that other kingdom. Now, does he mean that you should quit your job and wear sandals and all that sort of thing? No, I'm not saying that's what God's calling you to do, but you know something? He may take that job or he may take that circumstance, and when it's put under his kingdom, he may transform it to be something that looks like his kingdom. And you will be amazed what he does with that situation once it's under his lordship. But until you declare it and until you put it under his lordship, he's not taken over. He will take over when it's all done in the end of time. But for right now, he gives you the choice. So with that in mind, I just want to say a simple prayer, and I ask you to bow your heads. And this is a prayer for you between you and the Father. I want to challenge you to let go of the kingdom that's holding you and embrace the kingdom of God who wants you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word today. Your word says of itself that it's sharp. It cuts. It cuts, Lord God, from what we think we're doing <clears throat> to what we're actually doing. It cuts and divides asunder, as it says, between soul and spirit, the outside from the inside. And so, Lord, this word has a cutting effect on us. But like a surgeon, the word of God is designed to heal that which is diseased. We come to you today, Lord Jesus, and we acknowledge that many of the difficulties we face are because we've been focusing and giving our attention and reliance upon the wrong kingdom. Father, I ask you to reveal this to your people in this room and who are hearing us in, in other ways. Lord God, that we would make decisions this morning that would transform the way we think, the way we act. Jesus, we confess to you that we want you to be Lord. We want you to be Lord over our businesses, Lord over our homes, Lord over our finances, Lord over our thoughts, Lord over our habits, Lord over our time, Lord over our feelings, Lord over every aspect of our lives. Because you're a good, good father. And so we surrender once again to you. Do with our lives what you want to be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. God bless you.